You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. We just helped an Arn listener save more than $800 a month. What would you do with an extra 800 bucks a month? Now, I'm not saying we saved him $800 just one time. I'm saying he's going to save $800 this month, next month, the month after that. And you can do it too. If you've got credit card debt, if you've got a second mortgage, or if you're in a 30 year loan, it's not a matter of if we can save you money. It's a matter of how much find out how much money you can save right now for free at SaveWithConrad.com. We routinely help our podcast listeners save five, six, seven, even 800 bucks a month. But most importantly, we show them how to get out of debt faster and do it with cheaper monthly payments. Yes, even credit scores in the 500s can be approved. What are you waiting for? Punch it in your phone right now. Savewithconrad.com. It's no cost, no obligation. And if we can't help you save some cash, we won't waste your time. Savewithconrad.com. And I'm a lesson number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. Hey, what's up? This is Tony Schiavone. You're listening to Arn, my good buddy, Arn, one of the great slapdicks of all time, Arn. And be sure to catch this week's What Happened When, each Wednesday on Westwood One. Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Arn right here on Westwood One. And of course, the host, the man of the hour, the founder of the Four Horsemen, the enforcer himself, the Hall of Famer, the double A, the Arn Anderson. Arn, what's going on, man? The guy that everyone said would never live to 2020. Not only did you live to 2020, you brought in the new year in style. Uh, it was announced, I guess, the day before Dynamite last week that Cody Rhodes had hired you as his uh, personal coach or head coach for 2020. And man, there you were, front and center, AEW on TNT. What was it like to be back on TNT, back on TV? Well, it's tremendous. I mean, everybody's going, why? Well, why not? It's, uh, you know, it's given me a chance to have my third career and be a place where I feel like I'm wanted and see a lot of pleasant faces, you know, back from WCW days and WWE days and guys I worked with that were production folks. And uh, to see a room full of people smiling and tickled to death to be there, it was where I should be. 
if you missed it, go out of your way to check it out. And, uh, don't forget to watch AEW dynamite on TNT. If you'd like to see Arn, I assume since you're his, his coach that pretty much any sort of, uh, matches you're going to be ringside for Cody, right? Yes, sir. It's going to be a, uh, partnership. I'm going to just see, I mean, Cody has really, really gotten so much better, so much more mature in his thought process and his wrestling ability as a businessman and all those things. And the company, you know, that they're building over there, Tony Khan, we can't thank him and his family enough and all the, you know, all the, that talent that's just feels like they just came out of nowhere and they're all pulling together and they're all busting their butts. And, uh, at least for the next while, when you see Cody, you're going to see me. And, uh, I think we're going to have a very successful relationship. Well, I'm excited to see it. You know, the history, uh, with the Andersons and the roads goes back a long time and maybe an unlikely partnership, but one, I was excited to see both of it rooted in old school. And that's what our show is all about here. Old school. And we're going to take you back today and talk about the TV title, which I believe the NWA is bringing back later this month. They've got a pay-per-view coming up, I think on the 24th. Uh, and lots of folks are going to be checking that out. I will be as well. Uh, I'm a big fan of all wrestling and, and, and the NWA is doing some really cool stuff, bringing back studio wrestling. And one of the other things they're bringing back the television championship, you had to be pretty excited to hear that somebody was bringing the TV title back. Right. And who better than the NWA? Well, yeah. And I'm happy for those guys. You know, they're doing well. It's, it's all a byproduct of, uh, Hey, a new era has begun. Times are changing and places are popping up with old concepts as well as new, new talent, new style, old thought, thought process as far as some of the old things that really worked. And I think one of the old things that really worked is the television title. The whole premise, I think, is a good idea for featuring what we do, and that's wrestle. And we should mention the reason we're covering the television title now is we learned just recently when I was doing my research that all four of Orange television title wins happened in the first week of January. How about that? It's a little weird, huh? Yeah, I, I would have never dreamed that in a thousand years. That's one of those things that you just go, huh? Wow. I didn't know that. And I didn't know that, but apparently January was a very good month for me. It still is. I mean, you're back on TV on January 1st. What's going on? Like I got to hang out with you the first week of January every year for the rest of our lives. Cause good stuff happens to you then. Yeah. You should be following me around January. <laughs> I'm going to slip up when one of them big lotteries. <laughs> I'm going for some serious money. Yeah. I'm going to be there to get my tithing, get my 10% too. Hey, let's talk a little bit about the, the, the U S title, the world title and the TV title, you know, for years and years, Crockett had all three most famously, you know, the early days of the horseman, we would see, you know, Tully with the U S title or, or Lex with the U S title flair with the world and you with the TV talk about how the television title was supposed to be an execution different from those other belts. Well, when the world champion would be on tour, I guess we should address the um, the U.S. title, and this is my understanding. Um, when the, the champion was not in Carolinas working for 
Jim Crockett Promotions, the U.S. champion was the number one contender for that title when the champion came to town. Isn't that the way that worked? Yeah. So that was the top title. Now, the, the television belt was something that was going to be featured on television, and it started out with a 10-minute time limit. And if the champion did not get beat, he remained. He didn't have to win the match. He remained the television champion, and it morphed from 10 minutes to 20 minutes. Now you got a platform to put some top talent out there and matches you wouldn't normally see for a pretty good prize, the world television title. And uh, same rules. If time ran out, the 20 minutes, and whoever the challenger was had not won the match, here was the little hook in it. The champion, it was not a draw, was named the winner. So all he had to do was just survive the time limit. And that made for some pitch-up and smear and mad scrambling and uh, some urgency that last couple, three minutes, and that's what made it exciting. Yeah, I like the psychology being added of the time limit. I thought that was one of the cool things that uh, Cody Rhodes did in one of his early matches with Darby Allen and AEW. Uh, they had a time limit draw, and I thought that added sort of a new layer and one we hadn't seen uh, for maybe a little while. But it was pretty regular back in the TV title days. And to your point, the touring world champion you wouldn't see on TV a lot. Uh, but so as a result, these TV matches, your television main events, being for the TV world title, carried a lot of weight. And you learned that firsthand on January 4th, 1986. It's a tournament in Greensboro, North Carolina. And you would win your first television title that day, defeating Wahoo McDaniels in the uh, finals or Wahoo McDaniel rather, uh, at the time we should mention, you're also half of the NWA national tag team champions with Ole and the four horsemen are about to get up and running here in a big way. So you're, uh, you're Becky two belts before that was a thing, man, a tag champ and a TV champ. That's a hell of a vote of confidence for the promoters to put two belts on you. Is it not? Well, I tell you what, it, uh, it was a lot of responsibility and, uh, Ole and I were, you know, we had some pretty rough opponents at the time and, uh, there was a lot of accomplished talent and the opportunity to go after that TV title sounded awesome. Like an awesome opportunity till I figured out Wahoo McDaniel was the champion and buddy, if it didn't mean anything, no one told him because it was the damnedest fight you ever saw trying to get that thing away from him. Talk to me a little bit about Wahoo. I don't know that wrestling fans know enough about Wahoo, but to say that Ric Flair is a big Wahoo fan is an understatement. And I bet you feel similar. I just respect the man, you know, before you ever get to the performer, he was just all man. I mean, if you wanted to go fishing. Wahoo would take you fishing and he had all the right gear. He had all the right bait. He had all the right fishing holes. He was, if you wanted to go hunting, you know, whether it be deer hunting or it was uh, pheasant hunting or quail hunting or probably bear hunting, who knows? He had all the gear. Wahoo was a man's man. You know, there's a legendary story that Wahoo ran 30 miles on a hundred dollar bet when he was in college or just got out of college or something. That's ridiculous. That's, that's more than a marathon. And I would imagine he was probably 230 pounds at the time. 
that's, you know, plus playing pro football linebacker for the New York Jets and NFL, if all those accomplishments were not enough, Wahoo McDaniel was a man's man in this business, and everybody in that audience believed everything he did because he made you believe. And if you were his opponent, you were in for one hell of a fight, and he would push you, and he would pull the best out of you. And win, lose, or draw, at the end of the night, you knew you were in a fight if you wrestled Wahoo McDaniel. So you'd get nothing but kudos and respect from me. Rick has said that uh, Wahoo's drinking was legendary, too, where he'd knock out a fifth of Crown Royal like nothing. On the rocks, straight up. Buddy, uh, yeah. I mean, he. I always saw him with what appeared to be a full bottle at the beginning and very rarely was it not empty at the end uh, and just on the rocks and that was straight up and man, he would get to laughing and he was so loud and so funny. Uh, he was just fun to be around. Of course, you're working with all the top talent during this title reign. Um, Dusty, Ron Garvin, Manny Fernandez, Magnum, Sam Houston, Don Carnoodle, Jimmy Valiant, Everybody in the territory. You're also in the Crockett cup in 86. This time you're with Tully. You're going to uh, lose in the second round of the fantastics. Ultimately you wind up losing your television title on September 9th, 1986 in Columbia, South Carolina. And who better to lose it to after 248 days than the American dream, dusty Rhodes. Uh, it's kind of fun to think about now that you're his son's coach, but he beats you to end your first television title reign. What was it like working with Dusty here in 86? Well, he was such a huge star and he was so over. He was so charismatic. Just going after my championship elevated me. And the fact that he beat me elevated me. Rolling out of that ring after wrestling Dusty Rhodes for however length of time it was, 10, 15 minutes, and getting beat right in the middle was better than beating 25 other guys that were just middle of the road. I mean, he was the star, the top guy. He was the American dream. And uh, for him to want that championship, come after me and take that championship, in my mind, it just elevated me. And it also gave me uh, fodder for promos and going forward a chance to start plotting on how to get it back. So it gave me all kind of ammo. Let's talk about, uh, your next win. You win this one from the great Muda in 1990. So uh, after you lose the television title to dusty in 86, a lot happens. Of course, you even leave the company, go work for the world wrestling federation. But then when you come back, very quickly, you're put against the great moon. It's January 2nd, 1990 here in Gainesville, Georgia. It airs on the power hour. What's your, uh, what's your thinking about the television title here to get it back so quickly? You know, obviously maybe the original plan was you were going to be with Tully and things are going to look a little differently. And, and even though the money may be different, you've got to feel pretty good about being put right back into the title picture, getting a win over the great Muda. Well, yeah, I walked back into that angle with Buzz Sawyer, Muda, Dragon Master, Gary Hart. And I was wrestling those guys in six mans and, and tags and individually. Uh, 
the television champion was Muda. I don't think Muda was going out every single week and having a 20-minute match. I don't know the history before me, actually. Um, but I do know that there had been so much water under the bridge and there was so many shenanigans that went on during my separation between Crockett and um, WCW that uh, when I got a chance to wrestle for that TV title and Muda, I've watched it back a couple of times and he gave me a good, uh, he gave me a good match. And uh, I think he worked very hard and uh, he did things the right way. And I think at the time, those guys were being used well enough. I mean, anytime you had a match with Buzz Sawyer, you were in a bar fight. There's no other way around it. It was, uh, you earned your money that day. So beating Muda for that title kind of put me back into a, a prominent position and, and a position to be on TV every week and let everyone know. You can't just assume everyone knows you're back from the WWF. Everybody don't watch every week. Things escape, you know. Uh, information escapes people. They miss a week or two, and God, when did he come back? But having that television title and, and being in a feature match every week, which I loved, I knew what it was going to do for me long term. I didn't know this far ahead we would be sitting here having the conversation about it, but it's one of those things that worked and it lasted and it gave me a chance to do, you know, what I want to do, and that's just wrestle. Forget the politics and all the BS and all the social climbing. I just wanted to wrestle, and that's what it provided me. Let's talk about how the television title maybe changed from the Crockett era to now the WCW era. Back in 86, when you win the belt the first time, are you, are you getting a bigger payoff as a result of being the television champion? Are you featured more prominently as far as placement on the card or the posters? Is there more expected of you from a promotional aspect or did anything change? No, I think it, it helps your positioning, you know, and you know, back in the day, it was where you were positioned on the card, how much you made. And there was also those underlying situations of where was I two weeks ago? What were my contributions? Okay, now I'm on third from the last, let's just say. You know, does the reaction, it you know, does it match how much the house was up week to week? Uh, from a couple of weeks ago. Now you're in the next to last match. You're in a TV title. Your opponent is bigger. It was based, you know, your payoff was pretty much based on where you were on the card, but sometimes, you know, you could be a little lower on the card. If the plans were for you a lot bigger than the guy that was after you, they just, for positioning reasons, had it backwards. You still made whatever the payoff guy had in mind for where you were going, not necessarily where you were on that night, but the next night you could have been on last. It could have been me and dusty somewhere for the television title on last. Um, it just, uh, you know, your payoffs were commensurate with basically what their plans had for you. What changes now that you're back with uh, WCW is a business as usual, or does, can you tell right away? Well, this is a different regime. You know, they're definitely going to handle this a little differently, or does that not affect the title at all? Well, 
I mean, you never knew who the boss boss was. You know, there was bookers coming in and out and they had a committee and all these different things at the very top. And, and then uh, you would have someone come in as the booker and they would be there for a minute and then they were gone. And the uh, executive for Turner would be, you know, a name that you didn't know, much less a face you didn't know. Things were constantly changing. You didn't have the stability of, you know, Crockett and knowing Jim Crockett was the owner and the Crockett family were the owners of the company and they were the final word. You knew that Dusty was booking. And if you had an issue, you wouldn't talk to Dusty. There was no one to go over or no one to go under. It was That was the guy you wouldn't talk to, to to clear the air. Um, and those were very rare for me. I never had that conversation with him because, like I said, I didn't know you could say no. I didn't know you could have an opinion that was so far different from what the booker had that it was com- completely changed his hand, you know, plans. So – um, it wasn't that st- stable feeling that I'd had with Crockett and even Vince for that matter for, for a short time, you know, you kind of knew where you were heading and things were looking good and it was progressing the right way. And you knew you were going to get to where you wanted to be ultimately, which is on top. Well, right after this, you're, you're working a lot of six bands uh-huh. with Sting and, uh, and Ole. Of course, you're part of the horsemen here. You're going to have television title defenses against the great Muda, Buzz Sawyer, Tommy Rich, Ricky Morton, Junkyard Dog, Paul Orndorff, and others. And then, of course, famously, you guys turn heel, kick Sting out of the group, and you wind up teaming with Rick in a lot of tag matches against Sting and various partners. It's a long title reign. You hold it for nearly the entire year of 1990 before losing it to Z-Man. On December 4th, 1990 in Atlanta, Georgia. So having won it in Gainesville, you're going to drop it in Atlanta almost a year later. Um, during this time, the belt was actually renamed instead of the NWA world television title. It's now the WCW world television title. Uh, this reigned 336 days. So longer than the first one, quite a long run, but there's probably a bit of a difference losing the title to dusty versus losing it to Z man. Huh? Yeah, oh yeah. Oh yeah. You know, I had no problem uh with putting Tom over. Um, good looking guy. They you know, the word was they wanted to use him and they wanted to elevate him. And, you know, that was my job. Even though I held on to that title those incredible lengths of time that you just talked about. If you go back and watch every one of those matches, the scene was pretty much the same. I spent most of that 20 minutes making that guy look like he was going to win every, any second. Right. And when, and when the time ran out, you had elevated the guy, even though he didn't win, he didn't lose, and he came so close to winning. Done well with the right talent and the urgency and the mad scramble to get that pinfall as the time is running down. It made for an exciting scenario and i think you know tom zinc was better the next day after beating me for the television title than he was the day before and that was my goal and i was fine with that well that run that that z-man is going to start here goes a whole 34 days and you win the title back for the third time on january 7th 1991 again 
another title change in Georgia. This time it's in Perry, Georgia. This one winds up airing on worldwide wrestling at the time, a uh, 34 day run. And then we're just back to usual Arn and the TV title. This is a little unique at the time. You guys weren't flip-flopping belts the way they would a generation later, uh, but it probably served its purpose. You proved that Tom Zink was a real player, right? Well, I tried to, and, um, you know, I don't know that Tom looked at that title as much as an asset as maybe it was a burden. It would be easy to do that. You know, guys that didn't like to work long matches and hard matches and all the time, if you, if the pure wrestling aspect of the business wasn't kind of where you were centered, if you just wanted to be a big deal in your neighborhood or you wanted to feel like you were a big star because you were on TV all the time, you know, if you were, or you just were in it for the money or the notoriety or whatever the reason was, if, if you weren't dialed in to the purity of wrestling, unless that was your passion, you know, guys like Tully Blanchard, Stephen Regal, you know, myself, guys that just love the bell to bell stuff. That that's what you live for. I don't know that Tom was one of those guys and, uh, that's all well and good because it was, it was a hard job being the television champion, but man, was it rewarding without question. Let's keep it going here and talk about, uh, this run. Uh, it's going to be quite the run 132 days uh, on the, along the way. You're going to still be working mostly tags and six bands, usually teaming with Barry Windham. You guys were pretty routinely challenging doom for the world tag team titles, but super brawl one is quite the showdown. It's you and your best friend, Bobby Eaton, May 19th, 1991, St. Petersburg, Florida. And Bobby Eaton gets a singles title. Uh, we haven't talked about this, but I would assume it would be your great honor to help Bobby Eaton get a singles title because this was a prime spot for Bobby, especially in this era. Was it not? Yes, it was. And before we get to that, we were jumping on doom Quite frankly, what were we thinking? <laughs> Answer, we weren't. Those guys beat Barry Windham and myself half to death on a nightly basis, and there wasn't a whole lot we could do about it. Okay, moving ahead to Bobby Eaton. No one deserved a singles push and a uh, all the accolades that you can give him, uh, any – any amount of money would not have been commensurate with what Bobby Eaton was worth. And I would say, and I have said on many times, Bobby Eaton was in a, that top five performers of all time. Now you could take the other four and, and, and change the order. Bobby could have been number five. He could have been number one. Who knows? He was just that good, and he was one of those guys that loved to work and didn't mind working hard and giving you 20 minutes or 30 minutes or whatever was necessary. And I was honored to lay right there in the middle and him drop that leg off the top, one, two, three. I wouldn't have been any happier doing it for anybody that was perceived a bigger star in the business. Bobby Eaton and I went out and tore the joint down if I do say so myself, 
because the single-mindedness was he was trying to make me and I was trying to make him. And at the end of the day, the thing that got over was the match. And you had a new champion right in the middle. No hocus-pocus, no BS. Bobby deserved that. I wish I could have only done more. It's a big deal because Bobby has historically been known as a tag wrestler. I know once upon a time back in like 81, he won the uh, television title in the Georgia championship wrestling territory, but realistically on a big stage, this is his first and only singles title and him being your buddy and, and one of your favorite opponents, probably a really big deal around this same time. We should mention that you guys are uh, having Bobby dabble in a little singles competition. And he even wrestles Ric Flair in a two out of three falls match for the world title on a clash of the champions. But for whatever reason, they never really went with him as a single star. Do you think it was his lack of a promo that kept him from doing that? I mean, and if so, why can't they just put a manager with him or just let, let, let Corny do it because he's uh, enough talker for the locker room, right? Oh yeah. If you would have had Cornet do the talking, that would have been great. There, there was all, there's always been this stigma of if a guy can't talk up to whoever's expectations are calling the shots at the time. But unless, unless a guy is a top flight promo guy, it's hard to use them at the very top. And it holds a lot of guys back um, performance-wise. Bobby was not great on the stick. Bobby was tremendous in the ring. And uh, – but I think it was just a very common, almost a rule of thumb. If a guy couldn't talk, you were kind of pigeonholed on how far you could use him up the card. Uh, him and Rick, I can only imagine, was as good as anything that's ever been on TV. Yeah, go out of your way to watch some of these matches. I'm going to recommend that you watch the Super Brawl 1 match. If you're going to watch one match that we're going to talk about today, Go out of your way to watch that. Bobby Eaton, Arn Anderson, May 19th, 1991. Uh, let's keep it moving here. Uh, I guess we should mention Bobby winds up losing that title to a newcomer to WCW that somebody somewhere has high hopes for. It's a fellow named Steve Austin. So I guess you could say that worked out. Um, you're going to win your fourth and final television title in 1995. So we fast forward a few years. This time you beat Johnny B. Bad once again in Atlanta. And uh, the match would wind up airing on the main event TV show. What's your memories of uh, taking the belt off Johnny B. Bad? Well, he was getting used pretty well at the time, if I remember correctly. They were had high hopes for him. He, you know, he was a jacked up little Richard, you know, handsome guy, had a lot of charisma. You know, he, uh, he took the time to, to really get himself in incredible shape. Guy was ripped. He was tanned. His gear was incredible. He spent a lot of money on his costuming. I mean, he did everything that you should do properly to present yourself as, the, as a package that anyone would want working for their company. And, you know, and the guy worked hard, and he was learning the business. He, he hadn't been in that long. Uh, back, you know, back in the day, you would always say it took you about four years to get the business. Uh, and that's working 300 days a year, you know, to get the business down to where you could go out and have a match with anybody, or, you know, overcome any adversity or, you know, if, 
the old cliche was have a match with a broomstick. Right. Um, you know, the guy was, was good. He sold good. He had all, you know, all the things that, uh, that you would want. And for me, it was a big win. Um, I looked at it as being a big win. I did everything I could do to make him as good as he could possibly be. And so that I beat the best opponent that I could. You know, I think, uh, at the time you were probably trying to help him out with some in-ring stuff, but he might could have helped you out back then a little bit with some manscaping, but these days you don't need the help because support for this show comes from manscaped, who is the best in men's below the belt grooming. If in case you've been living under a rock manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels and it's 2020. So you know what that means? New year, new me, new balls. Listen up. Harry bushes are so 2019. If you're going to pick any new year's resolution this year, let it be to take better care of your junk. Manscaped is making it easy with their grooming products. In fact, some of our friends, mutual friends, me and you have, have had some horror stories this last year when they were trying to do a little grooming. They, uh, a friend of ours accidentally uh, snagged his nuts on a razor. He thought it was his lawnmower 2.0. He picked up his face razor instead and wham, uh, it looked like, uh, an episode of CSI in his bathroom when he was all said and done, not a good way to look here. Now, first of all, kudos to him for having a second trimmer. You definitely need a different one for your face than you do on your balls. That's just nasty. But had he used the lawnmower 2.0, there would have been no way he could have nicked or snagged his nuts because they have proprietary skin safe technology and the lawnmower 2.0 in your bathroom means that manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past. Manscaped also has the crop preserver. And I know what you're thinking. What in the world is that? Well, it's anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. Now hear me out. You already put deodorant on your armpits. Why not put deodorant on the smelliest part of your body, but don't take my word for it. Try it right now and get 20% off plus free shipping. When you use the promo code ARN, A R N at manscaped.com. Start the new year off the right way and start by using the best tools for the job. Your balls will thank you. One more time, 20% off plus free shipping with the code ARN, A-R-N at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. You just use that promo code A-R-N. What do you think, ARN? You think Johnny B. Bad could have shown you a thing or two about a thing or two? Well, I'm more worried about our buddy that damn near cut his nuts off himself on purpose. Yeah, it was not a good look. I got a frantic call afterwards. And then uh, they realized what happened that they used the wrong trimmer because it had never happened before. So he was starting to feel confident, but he was just, you know, not paying attention, picked up the wrong trimmer. Bad day. That's why use manscape. It's safe. It's been that, but tried proven everything you can do as far as dry runs. And the reality of the matter is folks. Bad as I hate to say it, it is. If you're not looking good, somebody's going to tell you about it. And if it's the somebody you're bedding down with at night, you better listen. I heard now the rumor and innuendo is that you're getting so good at this at your house. You're doing little designs down there. Like, is it true that you've got the four fingers down there too? Well, I mean, I was drawing mountain scenes and all kind of stuff, you know, <laughs> 
flowing rivers going through Montana, all kind of stuff going on down there. You know, it's like once you know you're safe, it's like having a bicycle with training wheels. You know, you know you're not going to wreck. You know you're not going to fall off. Just go ahead and enjoy the ride. You know, I never imagined that we would be talking about Arn Anderson's uh, below the belt grooming and basically describing it like a Bob Ross painting with happy little trees down there. Yeah. And there was some color, you know, I'll put some color in there, you know, some, some yellows and some pink and, some, you know, <laughs> all right, what are we doing here? Go to manscaped.com. Use that promo code ARN. You're going to get 20% off plus free shipping. Arn's doing it. Everybody in the biz is doing it. You need to as well. Manscaped.com. Use that promo code ARN. Uh, let's talk about, uh, what you're doing after you beat Johnny B bad for the world's television title in January of 95. Lots of rematches, of course, but then you're going to start defending against Alex Wright on house shows. And even at Slamboree 95, and you actually give him his first loss in WCW on that show. You would also have successful defenses against guys like Jim Duggan. And of course, Dustin Rhodes before finally losing it to the renegade June 18th, 1995, great American bash. This rain ends at 91 days. Man, it feels like it's just a natural progression backwards here. We start with Dusty and then Muda and then Z-Man and then Johnny B. Bat and now Renegade? You're talking about working your way down the ladder of success. My God. Some of those names, Dusty Rhodes, what a pleasure, you know, to, to work with all those guys. And I feel bad once you get the whole story about renegade and find out, you know, that the guy was brought in for what purpose. And, you know, with the illusion, he was going to be the ultimate warrior and the promises that he was probably made and all the things he was told. And then everything caved in on him and he just had to be himself. He wasn't ready for that spot. Very green. I mean, it was really just a cavalcade of, of misdirections and stumble steps and just a bad idea, I think. And uh, I never held anything against the guy. I mean, we were all green at one time, you know, but everybody can't do this. And that's the reality of it. And even fewer that can do it, there's very few that can do it really well. And when you come in with those expectations and it starts out, oh, that's uh, – that's ultimate warrior behind that screen. And then it's not, and it's like, okay, let's, let's look at what the guy's got. And he's not in a position to impress anybody because he just didn't have enough time in. I don't know if he had aptitude or the right attitude to be in the business um, because he wasn't there long enough. And I was willing to do whatever they wanted to do. My only hook in the whole thing was, I didn't want to take 15 minutes to do it because it was possible to have ran everybody out of every seat, not only in that arena, probably in that entire town because that was going to stink. I knew it was going to stink and it was all said and done. It stunk. Yeah. It's a shame because, uh, ultimately renegades no longer with us. And I know he, um, he couldn't have been happy with the way all of this went down either. It's, uh, almost an unwinnable position, but the rumor and innuendo at the time is Steve Austin had just flat refused to put renegade over. Do you remember hearing that? 
never heard that. And that was, you know, conversations that usually were kept uh, on the QT. Talk to me a little bit about, and, and I've never uh, thought about this before, I guess, but the guy behind the character renegade, did you ever have any conversations with him? I mean, how was he perceived in the locker room? I mean, we've, we've talked a lot about how he was maybe not the best wrestler in the world, but pretty nice guy. I mean, did you have any, any sort of dealings with him in real life? Of course, we're, we're talking about Richard Wilson, the guy behind the character. I don't remember the guy being a bad guy or anything or, or having a lot of attitude. I just, when I tried to talk to him and, and, you know, we're talking wrestling talk and stuff that we just take for granted. Um, I just remember very, very vividly him having this look, you know, of the deer in the headlights. He didn't no more know what I just said than the man in the moon. And I was trying to break it down and let him know what I felt we could do, what we shouldn't do, and all these things. And he just had this blank stare on his face. And I could just tell. I mean, it's you could drop me off on the steps of IBN and say, Arn, they're waiting on you. Go run the company. Well, I could walk in the front door just fine. I could probably sit down and greet everybody and make everybody think, well, this guy's confident. He must know what he's doing, you know. But the reality is, I couldn't no more even stay in that room over 30 minutes before somebody would sniff it out and run me out because I'm just not qualified to do that. It didn't take long for me to figure out he just wasn't qualified. And it's back to that, you know, guys that train and, and go through camps and wrestle around and, and, you know, for sometimes months, sometimes years, and they never, you know, the difference is, they never get it. They're allowed a lot of opportunities to get it, and they just don't because it's a very complex business. And it's one to do well. You've almost got to be – it's almost like God-given ability because there's so many things that go into being a top-shelf performer. Um, there's just very few people can do it, and I just don't think he was cut out for the business. Well, we're cut out to put a t-shirt on you. Go to orangeshirts.com if you haven't already. Uh, we're, we're adding a new one, Arn, that's not out yet. But by the time this airs, I'm sure it will be. You're going to love it. It says, forget cheese, hashtag add bacon. I bet you'll co-sign that one. Yeah, you dumped all over my Whataburger gimmick. Yeah, my I got, God, I got to stand up for him. Kidding me? I got a lot of shit about that on social media. People really, really agree with you and hate that I like in and out better. I guess that makes me a Twitter heel today because Whataburger sucks, man. I, I, I don't get it. Whataburger will never suck. Rewind that shit. <laughs> well, that in and out burger that they just toss in one way. It's one way or the highway. You can't even ask for nothing extra. Correct. I, th- I, don't, I don't even know. I don't, I don't hey, I, I've never deviated. I just get a double, double. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, hell, how creative is that? I got, let me give you another one. You got to pull through about 2.30 in the morning, double water burger, no cheese, add bacon, and you know it's 2.30 in the morning, so they got to be fresh. Get your large onion ring. 
I'm mad at it. Listen, he loves Whataburger and we love the new shirt coming out. What a wrestler. It looks like the Whataburger shirt. You got to go check it out. It's orangeshirts.com. My new favorite one though, is a classic old school shirt. It says Arn Anderson, the enforcer established 1982, very classic shirt, cool shirt. You can wear doesn't look like a wrestling shirt. If you're listening to me, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, maybe the most inside baseball shirt we've got though is the Marty Lundy style shirt where it shows a disco ball shattering and believe it or not, disco Inferno went on Conan's podcast, keep it at 100 a few weeks ago. And they played our clip where we talked about the famous moment where you slapped Glenn on the bus. And when it was all said and done, disco says, yep, that's exactly what happened. That's rare in wrestling. There's always, you know, this guy said this and that guy said this it's telephone, telegram, tell a wrestler. But nope, Disco co-signed it. Go check it out. You got to see this shirt, orangeshirts.com. And uh, don't forget, that's arnshirts.com. Of course, Pro Wrestling Tees is caught up now with the holiday behind us, and you'll get your shirt quick again. So uh, go check it out right now. And don't forget, by the way, uh, to hit the subscribe button, leave us a five-star review if you haven't already. Let's get back to uh, the show, though. The television title, you are officially... Uh, the person who's held it longer than anyone else in history, 877 days. When you combine all four reigns, ironically, second place is Tully Blanchard with three reigns, 685 days. I guess that's the reason that you've always felt like this was sort of your world title. It is the belt you're most closely associated with, right? Absolutely. And let me tell you, just hearing those numbers and not knowing that was that way, I've never been prouder. I looked at that as my world championship. There was never a thought that went through my head was why, why am I not the world champion? It's pretty obvious. I'm not a guy they can market. You know, I'm not a body guy. I don't have the charisma of a lot of guys. Um, I am the blue collar guy and that's the blue collar championship, the world television title. And I took a lot of pride every single day, waking up, packing my bag and laying that television title on the very top of that bag and uh, carrying it with me through airports to different towns, to every everything imaginable, and walking through that curtain with that around my waist, I was never prouder. And uh, I hope it's a legacy that people will, through time, will look at as being a positive and maybe their goal is will be to follow suit, which is whether the time limit is 10 minutes or 20 minutes or 30 minutes. Make everyone that's in that audience think they're fixing to see something special, which is a title change. And that's that's the job of the television champion. And it's one that uh, I thoroughly enjoyed. It is a special title. And we even have a uh, TV title shirt available, orangeshirts.com. Uh, let's get in the weeds for a minute though. But before we do, I want to talk about what you said there when you said it's pretty obvious you weren't or why you weren't the world champion. And I guess in a conventional sense, when you think about maybe the year 1990 and how, you know, one company's champion is sting and the other company's champion is the ultimate warrior. So we've got, you know, crazy hairstyles and, and crazy face painting and neon colors and over the top. Uh, personalities as far as their character, maybe I could get behind what you're saying, but when you go back and you look at the start of your career, how, how was early Arn Anderson any different from, 
Harley race or Dory Funk or some of the other NWA world champions at the time. I mean, you would have fit in like peas and carrots with those guys as the NWA world champion. Well, that's a tremendous honor to even throw my way to be in the same sentence with, with the funks of Harley race or any of those guys. And maybe if I would have been born 10 years earlier and could have been in that mix, I know I would have been honored. I would have been thrilled. Uh, God could I've learned from those guys because that kind of style that, that grind it out and go 20 and 30 and 40 minutes and sometimes an hour and keep the audience on the edge of their seats. You know, that's my kind of stuff. Like I said before, I've never thrown a drop kick. I don't do anything off the top. I damn sure ain't jumping off the top to the floor, um, which is, you know, was starting to happen during my era. And we see where the businesses went now. It's like a bunch of world-class gymnasts out there. Some of the stuff these kids can do, male and female. Um, But, you know, what could have been might have been, I just know in the nineties, you know, cosmetics, you had to have that cartoon character look bigger than life. Like you just walked out of a, you know, a television show that, you know, not a wrestling show, something, you know, superhero sci- movie, a comic book. Yes. Sci-fi. Yeah. You know, any of that, you know, just something that you look at them and they don't look like a human being walking around. They look like a sci-fi character you know that's that's what the deal was and that's what it called for and that wasn't me well you know i'm just fascinated by that because we've even talked about on tony shivani's podcast you know if if you were a little older to your point if you were 10 years older would you have been in the flare spot because you were very much in the same vein of a traditional nwa world champion and then flair comes around and has a totally different presentation you know, from a guy like Harley race to Ric Flair, uh, the pomp and circumstance, the fancy robes, the, the stick on the microphone with the suits and the blah, blah, blah. It was a different deal compared to the Jack Briscoe's and the Dory Funks and the Harley races. I feel like you would have just fit right in there. And it's a little weird that you are so self-deprecating about your career. And I get that that's part of the reason that people love the show here is they feel like you're just uh, open, honest, regular dude. But you've got to wonder sometimes like, Hey, what if, because in a different, you know, change of circumstance, just a little bit. I mean, I think people would be talking about you the way they talk about, you know, Ric Flair or Jack Briscoe or, or Terry Falk, because here's the deal. People who really pay attention to wrestling do, they put you and Ricky Morton and Bobby Eaton and Ricky steamboat in that same boat. I just wonder, you know, if in a weird way, had you never bumped into Ric Flair do you think life looks a little differently? No, because I think Ric Flair was born to be Ric Flair. He was destined to do exactly what he did for the business the entire time he's been in the business. That was his destiny. Uh, did I get a rub off of that relationship? Absolutely, 100%. But I go back and I'm thinking, and you know, and it's funny. I think I am, for whatever reason this is, I think I am more popular now with wrestling fans than when I wrestled. And I don't know if through the network and YouTube and all these things, 
they go back and they watch these matches, but they watch them with a different eye than they watched when maybe they were eight years old or 15 years old or 17 years old or 21 years old. Now they're 40 year old men or 45. And I know when I go to these, you know, different signings and I have these guys come in with their dad, they're 40. They got their dad with them. That's 65. And they got their son that's with them. That's six years old. And they walk up and they're kind of all standing one in front of the other in front of the other. And they're looking at me and the six year old throws up the four fingers. Yeah. You have no idea what a rush that is. How does a, how does a six year old know? Well, the answer is he's been watching YouTube and he's been watching the network and something that we did from that era, me included grabbed him or he would have just moved on. And then the dad starts telling me the story about being his age when his dad took him to the matches. And you've got the best thing that we could ever do or hope for in this business as a performer and an entertainer and a wrestler and all those things. For them to say, and I hear it a lot, almost exact quote, you were a big part of my childhood. Thank you. That's all the reward I'll ever need because that's real. And I believe them and I look in their eyes and, and, and a 35 year old guy that brings his dad who's 55 and he says, I just want you to know what you meant to my dad. He's a little bit shy and he, he won't tell you, but you hug the dad and he's, he's crying. That to me was better than being the world champion. It was better than making millions and millions and tens of millions of dollars. It means that you did something permanent something lasting and something that mattered. You did what you set out to do and that's go and entertain our audience to a level that not only do they remember you, they feel more in tune with you now than they even did back in the day. And that's, that's the only way I can put it because that's who I was. I don't think you're going to have, had I been back in the day and been wrestling Dory Jr. or Terry Funk or Dory Funk or Jack Briscoe, I don't think you're going to have women <laughs> buying tickets to see that that matchup. You're going to see a bunch of uh, hard-ass guys and, and, and real men that, that want to see a hell of a fight, and that's what you would have got. That didn't necessarily sell out arenas. So I don't know if I could have ever carried the world title It'll always be speculation. It's nice to be thought of, and including you, Conrad, putting the same sentence with those names. I just think I, you know, I have my spot in history, and I'm I'm fine with that. Let me ask hypothetically. We've talked about this before. One of the reasons you wanted to get off the road with the WWF back in '89 is the crazy travel schedule. Had you been the NWA champion in the early '80s? That's back in the, uh, the, the final days of the touring champ with all the different territories. Ultimately it led Jack Briscoe to say, Hey, uh, enough of this I'm done. Do you think that would have been a lifestyle for you or would you have preferred not to? I'd have probably went till I dropped because there's no feeling I've said it before and it's money can't buy it. Um, movie cameras can't give it to you people around you saying it to you a lot of people can can dump a bunch of positive stuff on you 
about what a big star you are. Hey, I love wrestling. Yada da da. There is no second place for going through that curtain, having a game plan, taking your maestro stick out and moving that audience every way that you want to move them, right on command. Have a finish to the story, and come back through that curtain knowing. You're exhausted, and you have exhausted the audience in a good way. And that's the reward, and that's the thing that I wished I could still do. Even at my age, if I could have a match and not disappoint everybody on not only this planet, but every other planet that's out there, um, God, what I wouldn't give just to have one more good 30-minute match because that's why I was in it. Let's, uh, let's talk about the actual championships for a minute. There's lots of different versions of the television title. Uh, Jim Crockett and the NWA had it originally, uh, or the one that I think people think is most synonymous with you is the red leather with the black backing, uh, the five plate title. And then there would replace that with a, a black version and red backing. So just inversing the leather, and then they would replace it with, uh, the one that most people uh, probably think about um, Stephen Regal with uh, when the WCW era, and then finally the squiggly line belt that uh, the Renegade had, and ultimately Jim Duggan found in a trash can, I think, on Nitro. Of those four designs, would I be right in saying your favorite, the one that you think about when you think of that title, is the red one, the original? Yeah. For some reason I felt like that was mine. Uh, don't ask me why. But uh, you would be correct. We're on the same wavelength. We took to Twitter and said, hey, if you guys have a question about Arn's television title runs, fire off a question right here using hashtag Ask Arn. You can be a part of this process. Next week, we're going to go back to a Q&A. Uh, go ask your question at the Arn Show and try to use hashtag Ask Arn. We'll look for your question next week. Uh, we'll go now to um, Jay Stovall. This is an interesting question. What was worse? Working the Tower of Doom match at Uncensored 96 or losing the TV title to Renegade 95? Well, my friend, let me put it to you this way. I am scared of heights. I am slew-footed as any penguin on the planet, which means I'm not very sure-footed. Uh Climbing to the top of that Tower of Doom was one of the most frightening things that's ever happened to me or that I've ever dreamed or imagined. And it can't scratch the surface from rolling out of that ring after wrestling the Renegade. Uh, Doug wants to know, other than Arn, who does he consider the greatest TV champ of all time? We've, we've all sort of agreed that this belt is probably most synonymous with you. But do you remember thinking there was another great television champion? Tully. Yeah, I can see that T one. Tully was tremendous. Steve Regal was tremendous. All same mindset. You gotta you gotta you know, you gotta look at those three guys. I think what those three guys enjoyed doing more than anything, if you ask Steve Regal, performing. Just going out and just tearing it up and uh when there's a prize like the TV title, it just makes it even more fun. It's, uh, it's interesting to think about everybody who's held that one. Uh, 
I, I, for some reason, I sort of think of the WCW television title differently than I do the WWF. But when I think of the NWA, I, I certainly think of you and, and sting and Muda and Tully. But when I think about the WCW, when I think more probably of guys like Steve Regal, uh, than anybody else. And, and maybe even, you know, guys like Booker T because Booker T had, you know, a, a hell of a run in the late nineties with it. Yep. I've, you know, there, there's things that I can't remember, you know, right now that, that like you just said, I'm sure Booker T was a great television champion because again, he was a guy that liked to perform, you know, he liked to go get it. There were guys that I'm sure that they wanted to put that title on and did put it on with the idea that it would elevate them. And it, they looked at it as a burden. There are those guys because, you know, a lot of times you didn't feel like wrestling 20 minutes, you know, and, and that thing actually, it, and I don't remember what point in time, but it actually went from 20 minutes to 30 minutes on a given angle with a guy. A guy couldn't beat you in 20 minutes, and next week he couldn't beat you in 20 minutes, and it got extended to 30 minutes. Well, surely I can beat this guy in, you know, in 30 minutes. And, uh, you know, you had a whole building angle right there that was just a snowball rolling down the hill that didn't take any brilliance to come up with or book or all you had to do was write it down and it was uh took care of itself following up about the booker t thing there was a great series of matches uh, actually sharon shabazz wrote this one in was Arn the agent for the benoit booker t best of seven series i think that went down in 98 and uh they made the television title matter, matter again, perhaps for the last time in 1998. Great question. Were you the agent for those? Um, I'm not. You know, back in those days, the talent took care of their matches. You know, I might have I been there in some capacity as far as giving them specifics. Um, here's how much time. Here's when you're on. Here's where you are in the standings. But those guys kept up with that because it was a big deal to them. I remember very clearly both guys were enjoying themselves. They were enjoying working with each other. They were able to bring the best out in each other. And uh, they were tearing the joint down every night. I, in those seven matches, I never got tired of seeing any one match. That's for sure. They diversified it up and made it different, made it fun to watch, made it interesting, and made for a lot of drama. Interesting question here that I've never really thought about before. Uh, Joe Hunt writes in, did the airlines ever give you a, we lost your luggage scare when you traveled with the title? No, it wasn't a scare. They've lost them a couple times. Um, and all you can do, because here's my experience with it through seeing the other guys and thank God it, uh, for me, it was only like three times they lost my bags. One time I got it back, two times I did not. So when it didn't show up, because we were going, moving to a different town every night in those days. So if your bag wasn't going to show up, you would say, well, listen, I got to leave tonight because I got a 300-mile drive. I'm going to be so-and-so. Here's where I'm going to be. Oh, no problem. When it gets here, we'll just forward it to where you are. Well, you spent the rest of that loop with that bag, they said, trying to play catch up. You never did get that bag. And, and the only I learned after the first situation, day two, 
hey, you go to the mall and you just buy everything you need all over again for however many days you're out because you ain't getting that back. That was my experience. One time I got it back on like the fifth day and they have no explanation why it took so long. And what are you going to do? It's uh, it's their sandbox. You're just playing in it. You know, they hold all the cards. Uh, you got to fly some some shots. You can't drive them. You know, it's hard to drive 2,000 miles. So, yeah, and it's horrifying. Not having any workout stuff, no change of clothes, no, you know, toiletry bag, any of that stuff. That's why guys never checked the championships. You always carried it on because you lose that, and now you are in a mess. Uh, real quick question here from Dave Pearson. Did Arn get more proud out of being a tag champion or a TV champion? I think I know the answer. Both. Both. I think. Let me put it to you this way. What did you think the answer was going to be? I thought you'd say both. I didn't think you were going to pick one. Well, God, you are smart. Well, I'm just saying you're like the classiest dude that's ever done a podcast here. There's no way you're going to say. Oh, I liked when I was the champ. Fuck my tag guys. But you also don't want to disrespect the belt. We've just done a whole show on. So it's not Arn Anderson style to, uh, to pick right there. You know what's scary though, is this, it's true. <laughs> Cause I love tag matches. We've said before, I, I went on record as saying with the right champions, the right heel tag champions and two good, they don't even have to be partners, two really hot baby faces, that for the story is for that night, they're going to combine forces and probably it would be very easy for either one of them to beat either one of the heels. But as a team, the heels are the better team and you let that play out over about 30 or 40 minutes. And the fact that they are partners and they just look at each other and know what the other one is thinking. And that's the difference of being able to get out of there with the titles and the skin of their teeth. That's the story, and that's where the heat is. Nothing on the card can follow that, not even a world title match, in my humble opinion. And, man, is it fun to be part of it. One last question here. King of Tech Deals wants to know, do you know if the WWE ever considered having a television championship? You were there in the back for a lot of years. Did it ever come up? No, because it would have been considered them doing it as a copycat of, of some other company, which they always wanted to come across as being the leader in everything. I think they would have looked down on that, the television title. Well, we hope you don't look down on this episode. Next week, we'll be back with hashtag ask Arn anything. If you want to ask a question and get your name on the show here, just follow us on Twitter at the Arn show and stay tuned on the 21st. We'll be back at you with Royal rumble 2015 on the 28th, another Q and a episode hashtag ask Arn anything. And uh, we'll just run through February while we're at it. Super brawl two is coming your way. February 4th, another Q and a on the 11th elimination chamber, 2018 is coming your way on February 17th. And then on February 24th is hashtag ask Arn anything again, lots of fun stuff on tap. If you haven't already hit the subscribe button, leave us a five-star review. If you think we've earned it, check out the shirts over at arnshirts.com and try to support our sponsors. We appreciate you listening this week and every week right here on Westwood one. Of course it's Arn. 
John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.